And so as we begin, the temperature outside was 73 degrees. It was partly cloudy skies, the sun was out, it was a beautiful day. And the, the date that day was December 7th, 1941. And people living on the island of Oahu, Hawaii, were just getting up for the day. You know, some families eating breakfast together, some getting around, getting ready to go to church. And then there was a uh, naval base on Oahu named Pearl Harbor. And the 60,000 service members stationed there, some of them have already gotten up, went to their duty stations, and I'm sure many of them were probably still asleep in their bunks. It was a day like any other day, just a normal day for them. But then over the mountains, just west of Pearl Harbor, some planes came into view. There were 170 Japanese aircraft that flew over Pearl Harbor, and at 7.55 that morning, the first bomb fell on Pearl Harbor. For 50 minutes, the bombing and the torpedoes dropped. The men and women, the service members there, awakened out of sleep, out of their stupor. Those that just caught by surprise were running. It was chaos. Running to duty stations, some making it there. A lot of them didn't. For that first 50 minutes, total chaos, but it didn't stop because 50 minutes after that first bomb fell, a second wave hit, another 183 Japanese aircraft, simultaneously from three different directions, started the second wave of the attack. From the time the first bomb dropped until the last Japanese aircraft was flying away from Pearl Harbor, 90 minutes. In 90 minutes, 20 vessels were damaged, eight of which were battleships. Two of those battleships were completely destroyed. Number one, the USS Arizona, which was sank and is still laying underneath the waters there at Pearl Harbor. The second one was the USS Oklahoma. Torpedoes hit it, it capsized, and then just a little while later they came in, they were able to ride it, but because of the damage it was too great to fix, so it was salvaged and sold for scrap. There were 340 U.S. aircraft damaged that day or destroyed. 2,403 Americans lost their life in the attack of Pearl Harbor, and over 1,000 more were injured. And you might ask yourself, well, why, why did they do that? What, what even precipitated the attack on Pearl Harbor? And if you know me, you know that you're going to get a history lesson if I'm up here. So, the decade before, December 7th, 1941, the uh, relations between the U.S. and Japan had been deteriorating. And the reason that was is Japan was a small nation, but they considered themselves an empire. And they wanted that empire to grow and be strong, and they just craved more and more power. They wanted to be a superpower. They wanted to, to become a power, but they knew that in order to do that, they needed natural resources that the island of Japan did not offer. So they started expanding that empire into China, attacking there. Then, with their naval fleet, they sent that out and they wanted control of the entire Pacific. Well, as they started that expansion into China, there was a trade agreement between the U.S. and Japan, and because of their extended expansion into China and their refusal to stop expanding and, and creating war, the U.S. suspended trading with China, particularly the oil. Japan got 80% of its oil from the U.S., and whenever that stopped, and then the, the, the talks just kept breaking down, 
and breaking down and breaking down. Finally, the Prime Minister of Japan, Tojo Hideki, declared war on the United States. So what he did, he tapped the, uh, the Japan Navy Admiral, and I'm going to butcher his name, I know I am. It's Admiral Isaruku Yamamoto. He was the Admiral, but he was tapped with, I want you to, to uh, create the battle plan for the attack on the United States. And so he created that battle plan. He went, the, uh, the, the battle carrier group from Japan left the island, headed toward Pearl Harbor, they stopped just 90 miles, no, 200 miles off the coast of the Hawaiian Islands and sent in the aircraft from their carriers. And you might ask, well, what, what does this have to do with today? Well, I say all that to share this with you. After the attack on Pearl Harbor, uh, there's a famous quote that Admiral Yamamoto wrote in his journal. Now, some say that, that this was a made-up quote. There, there's no uh, specific thing we can go to to say, yes, he did write this. But some say that in that journal he wrote, I fear all we have done is to waken a sleeping giant and fill him with a terrible resolve. A famous quote. Well, just as Japan waged war on the United States, Satan and every form of evil is waging war on us individually individually and corporately as a body of believers. But there's a contrast here, and it lies in the quote that Admiral Yamamoto made. Because yes, the attack on Pearl Harbor, it did awaken the American people, and it filled the American people with a resolve, a resolve that was going to end in nothing less than victory. Now, if Satan wages war on us daily, there's no sleeping giant to wake. Why? Because the victory for us has already been won. The sleeping giant, there was never any sleeping giant. God's been awake, and he has already won the victory for us. Now, even though that victory is won and we know the outcome, Satan still wages war on us daily, and there's still battles and wars to fight. And God secured our eternal victory through the obedience of his son, Jesus Christ, with his death, burial, and resurrection. So, even like I said, even though that victory has been won, there's still wars to fight, and so what we have to then ask ourselves, well, what kind of wars are we going to fight? Well, I've kind of broken those wars into two different things. So what we're going to fight is internal warfare and external warfare. And what do those look like? What are the types of internal warfare that we're going to face? Uh, that could look like selfishness, pride, grief, anger, lust, greed, deceit, slander, bitterness, these are just a few of the things that we're going to face on a day-to-day -day basis and that Satan's going to use to grip our heart. Then there's external warfare. And it looks like this. External warfare could be divorce, abortion, homosexuality, racism, government, transgenderism, social media, false doctrines. Again, it's a short list. But we all know those things that, that grip our hearts. Those things that, that when we have to deal with those things, it causes us to react in a certain way. And so there, there's one point I want to make here. The external warfare that we face should not influence our internal warfare. And here's what I mean by that. Because as we battle, the way we battle our internal warfare 
should influence how we react to our external warfare. Okay? The, 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 the condition of our heart should, again, be the focus, and from the condition of our heart will flow our reaction to the external. The key is the, uh, the heart is the key to victory. Let's go to Psalm 139 real quick. Turn there. Psalm 139. As you're turning there, uh, the first part of that chapter, David is just talking about just God. He's everywhere. He's here all the time. He's to your left. He's to your right. God knows everything. God is all-knowing, and God is everywhere. But as he's finishing that chapter, let's look at the last two verses, verses 23 and 24, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me into the way of everlasting. So what we need to do, what do we need? We need God to reveal to us the condition and the intent of our heart to be revealed completely to us so we know how to battle that internal warfare. Proverbs 4 verses 23 through 27 speaks of guarding our heart. For out of it flows what? The issues of life. We need our heart revealed to us. So then the question becomes, how do we fight these wars? What do we use? Because the things that they used in Pearl Harbor as they ran to their duty stations, machine guns, grenades, tanks, aircraft, that stuff, it's not going to work. So God, in his great love for us, has equipped us and given us the tools and the weapons we need for victory. And so let's turn to Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. And that's going to be our, uh, our text for today. 10 through 18. And let's read. Again, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to, to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Let's pray. Lord, as we just come to you now, asking your blessing on our time, Lord, we just pray Lord, that your spirit would just work on our heart, mold it and make it soft. Lord, that, that today that we could just, each one, get what you would have for us out of your word. And Lord, that we know right now there's already some sitting right here. They're struggling, whether it be internal or external, Lord. There's a struggle going on right now, and it's our prayer that through your spirit, 
through your mercy and grace, your word and prayer, that victory can be won. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, we have the whole armor of God available to us, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Isaiah 59, 17 says this. He, Yahweh, put on the righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And so I just I want to point something out here. And as I was studying, this, this thought kind of hit me. And it's incredible. Because in Isaiah, it's talking about Yahweh, that picture of God putting on that helmet of salvation. He straps on that breastplate of righteousness. And it made me think, you know, and then it says in Ephesians, we're to put on the whole armor of God, not the armor that he made for us, not the armor he created for us individually, no. Because of Christ and because of his obedience, God is literally taking off his helmet and giving it to us to put on our head. He's taking off his breastplate and giving it to us to wear to protect us. And I just, man, I just, for a long time I couldn't get past that thought and I just, it, it just was so encouraging and a blessing to me. And, and as you think about that, we're, we're his children. He loves us enough to give of what is his. You know, and even just having a conversation with, with Aaron this morning, we talked about just the creator of everything walked on this earth. He created it all. But yet he came and walked with us. What he created then killed it. But he ordained it. It's incredible. In verses 10 through 13, Paul is encouraging us to stand and be strong. We're going to face battles. When we are being faithful and God is blessing, that seems like the time that Satan's always going to attack and he's going to use everything at his disposal. He wants to see us fall, but not only does he want to see us fall, he wants to see us drag everybody else down with us. Paul warns that we are going to wrestle. It's going to be hand-to-hand -hand combat. It's going to be close quarters fighting. We are going to wrestle. Excuse me. We are to be vigilant so that there is no surprise attack like what happened at Pearl Harbor. Verse 14 starts with these two words. Stand, therefore. And so we're getting ready to go into just that description of the armor of God. And we're talking in military terms here. And so as, as verse 14 starts, we have stand, therefore. And the veterans we have in this room, those military guys, stand, therefore. What is that a call to do? Attention. Boom. Stand there. Attention. You've got your... I always laugh about this. When they teach you how to stand at attention, pretend like you're holding two rolls of dimes, put your thumbs over the end of them, thumbs down the seams of your pants, heels together, shoulders back, chest out. Attention. Ready for the next command. When you hear stand there for or you hear attention, it tells you something else is coming. There's another command coming. Right? Attention. Boom. Is there trouble to your right? Right face. Boom. Be prepared. Movement. Stand there for. Be ready. Eyes open. Ears open. Something else is coming. We are to put on the whole armor of God. The first thing that's listed there is the belt of truth. And so what we're going to do, 
each, each one of these pieces, I've tried to break it up in three different ways. First, I'm going to kind of explain how it was used in the time that Paul wrote this, how, the, how Satan is going to attack, and how we are to use that piece of armor. The first one is the belt of truth. The belt or girdle was a piece of leather. It was about uh, six inches wide, and it was heavy leather. And it went around. Now, the purpose of that belt was to hold up the clothes underneath the armor. But not only that, that wide belt also, when you would put on the breastplate, it would hook to that belt. Your sheath for your sword would go on that belt. It was wide enough to where it went across the back. It helped support your back. It helped keep you up straight. It was there for strength. Now, just as the belt formed the foundation of the soldier's armor, the truth is the foundation of the Christian life. It refers to God's truth and the truth found in His character. Right? His character. But it doesn't stop there. The truth is, we believed on Him, we accepted the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, that now becomes our character. We have the truth of His character, which is now our character. <clears throat> and as Satan attacks with his lies and false, and false teachings, and what does that look like? You're all right. You're okay by yourself. You, you don't need that. You don't need Jesus. You know, what's the saying now? You know, it, it's okay. My, it's my truth. You know, my truth is what works for me. Sorry, those are lies straight from Satan. His deceptions... They're rooted, or uh, we can fight those deceptions when we are rooted in the foundation of the truth of the gospel of Christ. So the belt is the foundation of everything that's now to come, just as the, uh, the truth of God's word is our foundation. Next, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness, or the breastplate, it covered from the neck down to the thighs. It was usually made... Uh, of thick leather, bronze, or chain mail. That chain, the, the braided chain that you see sometimes in the movies. Uh, its job was to protect the soldier's vital organs. Heart, lungs, spleen, liver, all the stuff. Anything that would, could possibly pierce and cause death. It's, it's protecting those vital organs. Satan will attack at our heart, our, very, uh, our vital organs. How does he do it? He attacks our emotions our self-worth. He'll tell us we're not good enough. He'll try to replace trust with doubt, but righteousness provides a significant defense. It's the evidence that we have been made right with God through the shedding of Christ's blood. Because of Christ, we are righteous. We are right in the sight of God because of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit and can trust the desire that He gives us to live rightly. It's that voice inside of us that we know. Maybe when those internal battles start to grip our heart, it's that yearning we have. Do right. Do right. That breastplate of righteousness. Put it on. Next, shoes for your feet, or what I'm calling them gospel shoes. A soldier wore special shoes or military shoes that protected his feet without slowing him down. So Roman soldiers wore shoes made of soft leather, but they had these little studs on the bottom of them. And that was so they could stand their ground, stand firm, right? 
So we're going to talk about the shield in a minute. Those soldiers would get in there. If they were on a defense, they would put that foot out there. They would stomp. And those studded pieces on those sandals, on the bottom of those sandals or shoes, would help them stand firm and hold their ground. Satan wants us to think that telling others the good news of Jesus is a worthless and hopeless task. He places fear of man and man's response to us when we share the gospel in our minds. He tells you, don't do that. They're just going to make fun of you. Why would you do that? Get, get back inside your little comfort zone there and stay there. Our gospel shoes are like cleats. Because again, the gospel is what we have. That, that's our hope. That's our promise, right? What is the gospel? It's just the good news of Christ. It's telling others about his birth, about the way he lived his life, a perfect life, a sinless life. But even though he did that, he was obedient to the cross. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. We dig in and we plant our feet firmly on Jesus. The gospel of Christ is what makes us sure-footed and it keeps us moving forward and we are, to be the, we are always to be of the business of witnessing and spreading the good news of Christ. Next is the shield of faith. The soldier needed to carry extra protection in the form of a shield and so normally, they were made out of a big piece of wood. They were oblong or oval shaped. They were usually four foot tall and about two feet wide. They were usually maybe like covered or leather was stretched over the outside of it. And it usually had an iron frame to, to give it the stability and the strength. And then a lot of times when they were going into battle, soldiers would take and soak that leather over it and get it wet so it would extinguish any of the fiery arrows that the enemy was shooting at them. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, Satan is going to attack with, with flaming darts. It says it in the scripture. And what do these flaming darts look like? They come in the form of insults, setbacks, temptations, right? There, there's a whole number of things we can, we can name that Satan is going to throw at you, right? But we can place our faith in the fact that we are created in God's image. He made us who he wanted us to be. And <clears throat> excuse me. I forgot my drink. Sorry, my throat is so dry. I apologize. Good Guatemalan coffee. Go downstairs and get you some. Mm. All right. Sorry about that. All right. So, we can place our, our faith in the fact that we are created in His image. He loves us and has sent His Son to die for us and that the ultimate victory is already ours. So, Satan wants to attack us. Boom, he's throwing everything at us. Hold that shield up because that shield is saying, God loves me. He created me in His image. He wants me to live like Christ lived. He wants me to look at the example of Christ and walk in his path, right? Now, we're, we're, we're never going to live that perfect life, but we're going to strive for it. We're going to go for it. Next, the helmet of salvation. The soldiers' helmets were usually made of leather, brass, or sometimes bronze and iron. A good helmet could not be pierced. A strong blow to the head without a proper helmet meant certain death. Satan will attack our minds, causing doubt to creep in and he will tell us that salvation isn't real. God will, excuse me, 
he'll say that uh, just it, it, Christianity is a waste of time. Don't go to church. He'll even tell, you know, put those other things out there. You know, you should go to the lake today. Don't go to church. He's going to attack your mind. He's going to twist the truth. But the helmet of salvation will save us from a blow to the head through the hope that we have in Christ and the promise is granted to us by God. And the salvation, again, that, that helmet of salvation, the salvation we have through Christ. And then finally, the sword of the Spirit. It's the perfect weapon for cutting, thrusting, and piercing regardless of the direction you're swinging it. The sword of the Spirit is God's Word. And uh, the one thing about the sword of the Spirit, if you notice, when you swing it, you attack with it, it's the only thing listed here that's an offensive weapon. Everything else has been defensive. Now we're going to go on the offense. So Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul, of spirit, of joint, and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's Word will cut. The Spirit makes the Word of God effective as we speak it and receive it, as we memorize it and quote it. Just as Jesus used the Word against Satan while being tempted on the mountain, so can we swing it and thrust it and drive Satan away through the Word being hidden in our heart. John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. There's a blow. And the Word was God. Boom. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. Swing the sword. It's why we do Awana. It's oh, what a blessing it is to come down on Sunday nights, 5, 5 to 6.30, listening to those kids quote those verses. It's incredible. And the joy that they do it with. I love it. I mean, there's going to be times when it, 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 it's going to be a struggle because some of them TNTers, man, I, 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 whew, I would struggle memorizing some of those verses that the TNTers have to but it, it's incredible. They dig in. They do it. We've got our leaders and our listeners and our volunteers encouraging them. Hide the word of God in your heart. Mm. Oh, man. I tell you, swinging the sword, it reminds me of a story. Back in 2007, there was a couple named Jim and Nell Ham. They lived in Northern California. They were a retired couple. Jim was 70. Nell was 65. They loved to hike. They were avid hikers. They went hiking all the time. And Northern California is loaded with state parks and great places to hike. Well, one morning, they were out on one of their hikes when out of nowhere, a mountain lion jumps out, tackles Jim, wrestles him to the ground, puts his head in his mouth, and chomps down. Now, Nell is just beside herself. It happened so fast, but now she's looking. And the strangest thing, this mountain lion is just laying there. Jim's laying there. It's got his head in his mouth, teeth sunk in, but it's just sitting there. It's not shaking him. It's not trying to kill him. It's not trying to drag him off. It's just laying there. 
Well, Nell, being the self-respecting retired woman that she was, looked around, found a four-inch four round log and just started beating the tar out of that mountain lion. Just hitting him, wham, trying to just do anything, get him off of her husband, kill it, whatever. She is just, just waylaying him. She's screaming, but then she realizes, what is that? Jim, he's still conscious, his head in the mountain lion's mouth, and is telling her, Nell! Nell! And he finally gets her attention, and he's like, I've got an, I don't know how he stayed so calm. He's like, I have got an ink pen in my pocket. Get it out and stab this thing in the eye. So she sets down the log. She gets this pen out of his pocket, and she's trying to stab this mountain lion in the eye. I, it, it's a horrible thing to have to go through, but just standing back watching this had to be comical. Well, she's trying to stab it in the eye, and she's missing and, and everything. Well, then the pen breaks. And she's like, oh, and so then she just throws the pin down. She picks back up her little four-inch log, and she just starts beating it again. Well, eventually, she hits this thing, and this mountain lion stands up, releases its hold on Jim's head, turns, and looks at her. Got teeth on its fangs, just looking at her. And without anything, without a, a roar, without nothing, it turned around and walked away. Just as Nell was picking up that log and beating that mountain, and this is a true story. You can look that up and read the whole story. It's crazy. True story. Just as Nell picked up that log and was beating that mountain line, trying to kill that thing, pick up the Word of God. Pick up your sword. Kill sin in your life. Drive Satan away. So now that we're dressed for battle, we know what each piece is for. What's next? Do we just stand and wait for Satan to attack? No. Let's read verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We are to be constantly in prayer because Satan is constantly seeking to attack. We are to pray in the Spirit. The Spirit helps us when we pray by giving confidence. The Spirit prays on our behalf, Romans chapter 8, when we are just at our wit's end and we don't even know what to say. Romans 8 tells us the Spirit is making intercession for us. The Spirit is praying for us. The Spirit makes God accessible. The Spirit guides and inspires us when we pray. The Spirit brings God responses when we pray, when we put on that belt of truth pray. When we put on the breastplate of righteousness, pray. When we slip on and tie those gospel shoes, pray. When we put on our helmet of salvation, pray. When we draw out our sword, when we're digging into God's Word, pray. Also, what does it say? Keep praying for fellow believers. For those that you know are in a battle, whatever that battle may be. Encourage them. Support them. Remind them that the armor is accessible to them. Show them how to use it. And then, does it end there? No. Get up. Put your armor on and stand shoulder to shoulder with them. 
Fill the gap. There's gaps, people. There's people hurting. Stand up, shoulder to shoulder with them. Get that, get that shield. Boom. Interlock it with theirs. Go into battle with them. Open God's word with them. Pray with them. Mm. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, we, we know that the armor, all this stuff is just a metaphor. But when we break this down, what are we doing? It's nothing new. We're getting into God's Word. We're opening it. We're reading it. We're praying that God will just show us mercy and grace as we turn the page, as we read the words. We're praying that His Spirit will just open up our eyes and ears and make our, soft, our, our heart soft to accept what He has for us here. We're, we're going to memorize it. We're going to meditate on it. We're going to learn more about what it is to be a child of God. We're going to learn more about His promises. I know we've been praying for the Barfield, the Simmermans, and the Gwen family. Right now, what they're experiencing is grief. We can comfort and encourage them. We can stand up beside them. We can take them to Revelation where it says, There will be no more tears. I will wipe your tears away. There will be no more pain, no more sorrow. Regina right now is experiencing it right now. What a promise. What a promise. Right now we're going to just have a short time of response. Just think through right now. As you bow your head and close your eyes, just where are you battling right now? What are those internal wars tugging at your heart? How is Satan firing those fiery darts? What temptations are you battling? What's those external battles? Are you getting discouraged by government, politicians? Are you struggling with maybe what's going on in your community because of mask mandates? vaccinations. Spend some time in prayer. If you need somebody to pray with, if you have questions, we have people down front here that would love to pray with you, take you to God's Word, answer any questions you might have. Lord, as we come to you now, we thank you for your Word. Lord, that you're living through it. That whenever we hold our Bibles and we open up to those pages, you are revealing who you are to us through those pages. And Lord, to love us so much to even give us, give us a, a piece of you through the Spirit. Lord, walking with us day by day, minute by minute. Lord, the Spirit continually speaking to us, revealing your word to us. Just help us to listen. Help us to be obedient as Jesus was obedient. And Lord, we just thank you for, for giving us the tools and the weapons that, that, that is required to walk a daily life believing in you. Lord, that you give us the ability to fight and to battle. And Lord, as we do, let us, let us not get, get prideful about being in the battle but Lord, keep us humble. 
let us always remember it's about you. It's about your victory. Because without your victory, we would have none of it. And Lord, right now, I just... Lord, thank you for Jesus, for sending your Son, for, the, for, for His obedience. Lord, for, for taking on our punishment on His shoulders through the cross. And it's... When, 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 when we picture the cross and what it truly is, what an, what an ugly picture. But Lord, how that picture changes. And Lord, we just thank You that You have victory over death. Lord, we will die on this earth, but we will die no more. We will raise to be, to be with You, to live with You forever where there's no more sorrow, no more pain. And we will be worshiping with you for eternity. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. In closing, let me leave you with this, these three things. Stand firm. Stand at attention. Be ready for what's coming at you. Be ready for the next command. Equip yourselves. Get in God's Word. Pray. Or equip yourself. Be in God's Word, sorry. My last one is pray. <laughs> pray the effective and powerful prayers. And just lift each other up. Thank you, Dustin.